it's weird with this creative business because it's you, you also need to stop it somehow because it's it's eating you you know it's a tough business that was henrik vipsko and this is nordic portraits Henrik Vipsko is a multidisciplinary artist, primarily working with textiles, who also happens to have built a world-famous fashion brand. Since 2003, he's been a member of the illustrious Chomre Syndical de la Mode Masculine, and is currently the only Scandinavian designer on the official show schedule of the Paris Men's Fashion Week, a platform he often uses to turn heads with his playful avant-garde and intricate scenography. Henrik, welcome to Nordic Portraits. Yeah, thank you. So you're now more than 35 collections strong. Yeah, I w- we were actually just discussing it yesterday. I'm I'm getting a I was educated uh from St. Martin's in the UK and it's kind of getting close to um, 20 years since I graduated. I think in 21 it would be uh 20 years ago. Wow. Which is uh, pretty uh, wild. So I was curious, does it get easier every time? Not really. I think there's always, uh, you know, some things are easier. Other things are a little bit more kind of complicated. There comes other, you could say, uh, challenges or problems or bigger problems uh, that um, than just being alone, a little, little small company. Uh, now you have employees and uh, how many are you now in the studio in the studio we are around 12 15 plus some interns uh, so we probably around like daily base around 20 people hanging a bit out uh, doing a bit of bubs so how do you i'm really curious so if we were to look at if we were to break down the process of a collection yeah uh, what is the very first step that you're taking um, there can be very different uh, ways of like the entrance to design a collection. Sometimes I already know like this is the theme. Sometimes uh, I don't. And then maybe there's a few ideas and they can be completely kind of random, not connected. So uh, let's try out looking into um, the process of... Uh, and it can be all kind of things. Can you give me an example? Yeah, what did we look into? Now, at the moment, we I'm a bit scared of it, but sometimes when I choose a bit negative things, um, I'm, I'm a bit into fire uh, and burnt stuff. Um, so now we're looking into fire, uh, but also into kind of the future of fire. What happens when, you know, like the new life after fire? How can... And the process of fire, like how it burns or can also be ashes or objects that are done with heat. It can be sound, all kind of like heat, burning, fire, all kind of things. We're looking into all kind of, and it can go many, many ways. And it actually came from uh, a picture very close from here where I saw two burnt down scooters. Huh. And they were beautiful. 
<laughs> because of all the plastic crap and uh, stuff. Um, I think it was kind of some gangs who burned off some some sc- some cheap scooters. So it almost melted into some it's other object. Completely melted the uh, raw, uh, you know, um, a raw frame without all the the all colors was kind of. Uh, but that was that's one example. Another example could be uh, the one we just did now here, like two weeks ago. We did a show where we, ironically uh, enough, had a fire alarm going on <laughs> uh, in the middle of the show, so everybody had to leave the show. It was only a thousand people and models in underwear, and some was missing shoes. Did people all think that was part of your avant-garde approach? In the beginning, I think some thought, hey, it's probably kind of a little, he's trying to twist our mind into something. <laughs> but it was actually, uh, I was also like, what? Luckily, it wasn't, uh, normally we do two shows. We do one in Paris, and then we sometimes we do a little extra show here in Copenhagen. And this was in Copenhagen, and yeah, so the, suddenly the fire alarm went on. In the middle, you know, as show is maybe 12 minutes. 15 so in the middle of that <laughs> so what did you do in the beginning i was like come on we just continue that let's get it done and then there came um, those people who was in charge of it and they came sorry everybody out also you <laughs> <laughs> so then everybody was out in a big mass and 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 there was a few um i think the scandy the scandy people the danes were a little bit like okay they were for sure the slowest <laughs> they're like what do we have to leave now and then there was a few americans that were like like plenty of practice for is the- it a bomb <laughs> uh so um but it also it was this you know you had this ding 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 please leave the building it's like uh, it came this on top of the music <laughs> now anyway um so how do you resume after that I mean, it was slightly chaotic, also because you know, um, yeah, like we invested, of course, a lot of time. It's a bit lower budget when we do it here than Paris. We had all pictures and we had all uh, f- uh, videos and films from Paris, so it wouldn't be the worst thing because it was the second time. But still, you know, just get thousand people out and uh, get them back in. Is kind of a, um, a little bit project. I had a, my head of press girl. She was on. Uh, she kind of broke her leg, uh, so she was standing there a little bit with a, what do you call them? Crutches. Crutches, uh, and she's like, "Okay, I can do this one little show." And then with crutches, trying to everybody come back, uh, <laughs> come out, come hey, um, everybody go back in now. Like trying to run after someone with the. So she she had a prime time uh, stress. Well, I've I've heard you describe that you think potentially calmness is your your best skill. Yeah, that would have been tested. Yeah, that was tested, and it was took it pretty easy. And also because, like, okay, we have all documentation already from Paris. So, but it gave a lot of buzz. The funny thing was actually, I think actually the wipe became much better after. Because um, the the fire trucks, the fire brigade had to come because it was one of those uh, heritage buildings. Uh, so they just had to come and say, and we were like, can't you just call them and say like, it's not a fire? It's it was 
the location people said it was uh, some from my crew that was smoking a joint. <laughs> <laughs> which were a bit weird because we were in the middle of the show so I don't really think that uh, or the models I, think, I don't know they put it a bit of course on us um, but then you know when people got in um, we got like 90% of the people back in some left uh, run away <laughs> um, then uh, they put the light on then they put music on just to test if um uh, And then we had a, there was a lot of performers in some bathtubs, um, and they had to be redressed when people were looking. So they were like in skin underwear and trying to get like this frame on them so they could dip down into the bathtub again. That's kind of a, a paper mache project we did, uh, and they put the music on just to test. And then it was just random, my Spotify uh, kind of uh, music playing. And then it was um, John Hopkins in like some kind of a little bit rave uh, <laughs> uh, remix of something. So it was like... <laughs> with really like tense, distorted... Uh, um, yes, it was, it was perfect. <laughs> So there came this, and then because normally it takes an hour or something to seat people, or 45 minutes, and people think they, they are more important than other people, and blah, 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 blah. So there wasn't time for that, so all chairs was just removed. Everybody was standing up, and then this uh, four minutes, uh, John Hopkins, full speed, uh, like... And people are, okay, do it! Fantastic. Yeah, it, it became a little bit more uh, epic. And then, poof, is it? I we mean, did the show. <laughs> 12 minutes. I actually thought I had a strange perspective as an outsider thinking the fashion industry was wild, but you're actually heightening my expectations now. It is. It can be wild in many ways, and there's many ways. It's a bit like music. You know, you can have um, a super avant-garde, dark uh, Norwegian... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't know, burning church uh, <laughs> metal. And then you can have Britney Spears, which is pop, uh, which is uh, champagne and deluxe and sex attitude. There's many different uh, perspectives of that. And you, of course, most people are maybe relating to very, uh, you could say, artificial world, what they see, like big shows and uh, Karl Lagerfeld. Um, but there's also, you know, other small underground uh, avant-garde uh, things happening, which are pretty interesting. Where would you put yourself on the spectrum then? I'm slowly, I'm slowly getting more commercial um, within the years now. Uh, but in the beginning, I was like, uh, I was pretty, <laughs> uh, I was for sure much wilder. And when I just got back, I didn't really see Scandinavian as a place to, you know, where should I actually sell this stuff? There's no shops here. And that I kind of slowly kind of, okay, there is a few spots uh, um, in Sweden. Doo -doo -doo -doo. So slowly I have also adopted a bit more. It's like, okay, maybe I need to cut down a bit of uh, the creative uh, creativity and just slowly looking a bit into analyzing what I'm doing and why and why are people buying that piece. Maybe we should use that kind of shape again um so how would you have described the fashion landscape in scandinavia when you first 
burst onto the scene? It was very black, gray, beige uh, world. Uh, and when I came back, uh, it, I, it was like a, a mix of Africa meets uh, some kind of uh, club kids and brave. I don't know. I, I had a lot of colors uh, and also had a lot of energy in that um, and the shaping and big size and... And it was very kind of, one of the good things here is like, you can say it's a strange market. It's it's very small, it's very tight. And if uh, a few things are getting accepted, everybody would like to have it. Therefore, you've seen like in the history of design and design products, uh, most of the people have the same chairs if they are they're kind of accepted the same uh, used to be the same tv from bang and olufsen but that kind of same style that would people adapt and say okay that's acceptable have you always found that interesting because it does feel specific to to denmark or at least to scandinavia yeah it's it's a bit weird but it's it's just because it's very small mm. and um and it's some small countries and uh, but it also helped me in in some way because i'm even that i'm maybe a more wild or avant-garde then i also always build it in a very conservative frame uh, so maybe i have some wildness happening in the middle but there's a conservative frame around it you mean as in literally... Yeah, yeah, aesthetically, like a white frame or a white box. But then in the middle of that, there's some wildness to kind of hopefully to balance it out a bit. Do you find that you need that in the way that you approach creativity, that you like to still have some sort of structure or framework to work within? Yeah, yeah, I like that and need it, I think, as well for for the process. And also to develop, uh, you know, you constantly, it's like a big, massive uh, pancake industry, the creative business. I'm doing quite many different things, ballets and exhibitions and, of course, the collections and get all kind of weird requests. And it's also constantly coming up with, uh, you know, oh, couldn't you do it like that? Uh, so you also need that kind of conservative structure in that pancake factory. <laughs> how, how do you determine what is a project that you want to take on? Because if you're constantly being bombarded with requests, what is your criteria when figuring out what you want to do next? I look a bit into it and then um, maybe ask for, uh, if anybody else knows about it. Uh, do, 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 do. References. Um, and then or some, it can also be like, friends of friends who's doing something and I'm like, hey, yeah, of course. Uh, as long as it doesn't take too much energy, then I'm cool with it. But there's, it's it's kind of a slalom because there's a lot of talk in this business and there's a lot of noise. Blah, 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 blah. And that's like... So I don't really like people just to call... So it's like, yeah, no, can I just call you? Or can we meet and talk about this? It's like, maybe write it down first, what it is. Because uh, it's just using time on noise. Which noise can be nice, but uh, <laughs> if you can uh, decide what kind of noise it is to yourself, then it's better. But um, there's a lot of talk. And it also gives a lot of energy to work on different fields or 
different ways of doing it or materials and I really like that to kind of keep activating my brain. I wanted to to take a step back and talk a little bit about your childhood. You grew up in Kellerup, yeah, uh, which is just north of Silkeborg, as I yeah. understand, on the other side of the country. Can you describe a little bit your your childhood over there? Um, it's um, in a very specific part of Denmark where it looks a bit like outside here, like a lot of uh, woods, a lot of lakes. It's a uh, pretty kind of hilly. There I'm grown up um, in this uh, smaller city um, village. <laughs> it's maybe a better word uh, called Kellerup. There's around two, three thousand people living there. And what were you like as a boy? Mm, I didn't go to kindergarten, so I was a little bit um, home alone. So I had to create some uh, entertainment uh, myself. Um, my mom was a bit taking care of me and. The others went to kindergarten, which is pretty wild nowadays. You know, like, what? Were you home until you were like six? But that's how... I had a pretty good time. There was a lot of uh, playing a bit down in the woods or like fantasy playgrounds um, like kids do. Been kind of very sweet, very quiet. Um, never really been in like deep trouble. Uh, was very shy, probably still is, and in, in some kind of a weird way. Did you have opportunities to express these sort of creative urges at a young age? Yeah, not really, but uh, my big brother and sister gave me a drum kit when I was 10, and that was kind of an explosion into uh, kind of a creative feel that um, drumming... Uh, and learning by doing in the beginning. So I had this, uh, we had a like a extra little garage house where I had the drum kit out and uh, had some friends come over and everybody was just hitting on all drums at the same time. But that was kind of the first, you could say, um, opening for something a bit creative beside of all the fantasies and playing with Lego and playing out in the parks and the woods. Um, making uh, clay balls to uh, to <laughs> clay ball uh, factory <laughs> all kind of weird stuff to throw at each other or just to... yeah that was, i think we had a plan about it but uh, it was me and uh, there was like um, my best friends uh, was 3 400 meters away and we we had this flat roof where we were drying uh, clay balls for Something it was more a factory. I don't think we really used them, but I think they could have killed someone. But uh, but um, but out there, it's um, nothing really much uh, happened. Um, not much culture. You played uh, football or handball or basketball, that kind of. And then the drumming that kind of led to being part of uh, some bands. So when we were thirteen, I think we went to like a local part of the Danish radio uh, radio station um, to play three numbers like cover tracks and about this uh, kind of it's not a boy band but we were like boys uh, 12 13 years and then we played uh, and we were interviewed wow can you remember what you played <laughs> i think it was some kind of a mix of uh, 
one Jimi Hendrix, maybe a Bowie track, and maybe one Danish uh, band, something like that. I'm not 100% sure. Could be interesting to find it again, but I uh, haven't really digged into it. So do you feel like the drumming was kind of your ticket to seeing a world beyond the local village? Yeah, it was a, a ticket to, um, to, to rhythm and understanding um, different patterns, but all, yeah, also like rhythm in general, uh, you know, comes from dance. And then there in 83, uh, kind of the scene of uh, breakdance and uh, electro boogie was kicking off. And we were like sitting, uh, finding some tapes with uh, music, with uh, Grandmaster Flash and the Rocksteady crew. And so we started, we were like four boys who started to, to dance. Of course, with uh, the door closed <laughs> and a ghetto blaster. And then uh, we were dancing, dancing. And when my mom opened the door, like, what are you doing? We were like, freeze, <laughs> nothing. Because it was strange for, you know, guys to express themselves like physically in, in a dance thing. That was a bit weird. But um, the music and the drumming for sure gave me already a, a good tool for dance. And uh, I think it was in 83, 84 or something, I, I won this uh, championship in, in breakdance electro boogie. I was slightly shorter than I am now. <laughs> but um, I had a height coming up two years after. I was just like two meters tall. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, the drumming there gave a lot, um, a lot of uh, expressions to how to move and rhythm and um, and dance also. So that was a big thing. So from being super shy to standing in the middle of like a crowd and dancing was super weird, but liberating in a way. Very liberating. I'm still doing a lot of ballets or modern dance and stuff like that. That's, I really like that. And you're still drumming a lot? Still drumming a lot, so I'm still kind of the same. But I'm not dancing so much myself. Uh, that's a bit shame. I need to be a little bit drunk before I start moving. Well, it's funny because you you still drum at a very high level and you've drummed with the likes of Ernest Hannemuller and others. We're talking huge concerts, uh, yeah. festival gigs and so forth. Was that ever a serious consideration to become a professional drummer? Not really, but yeah, I remember sometimes when I was sitting there in the garage, uh, it's like, oh, it could be cool to play, uh, you know, from from a Scandinavian or Danish perspective, then Roskilde the festival was like, when you were a teenager, it was like, wow, if you could play there. Also something, it's very much about, uh, you know, confidence and, I was not so good in, in the schools uh, with spelling, um, very good at mathematics, but it's spelling was really tough for me. And I was also told that I was bad, so it went even worse. Uh, um, yeah. So then when did your interest in textiles and design come into things? Uh, but I was, uh, yeah, I was playing in different uh, smaller noise indie bands, and um, was unemployed. And then there was an offer from the office that because I was pretty young and unemployed, then they could support that you could go to a high school. A high school in a Danish Scandinavian term is like an old uh, castle, which is turned into kind of a foundation school mm. where you can live for 
four, five months. It's something very special and unique. And there you can zoom into different uh, fields. I had a little plan about um, architecture. And there was one of those schools that was called Krabbesholm. But of course, it was the most popular one. So all architects who is actually applying the architect school here or in Sweden, most of them, they go to build up the portfolio at that school. It's kind of our foundation system. So I was applying that. Our, the office said that they could help me out uh, supporting it, uh, which were a big chance. But the school was fully, fully booked. But I was on a waiting list. And the week, the same week when it started, I was like, how, how is it looking? There's like, don't count on it. There's already a lot of people in front of you if someone pulls out. Then I called my mom, said, hey, mom, it's not going to happen. And she was like, ah, but your cousin, Rege Vipsko, she got into one and they have a lot of space. <laughs> this was an old castle, that um, uh, high school. It's beautiful. The architecture, uh, da 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 And this one was, uh, <laughs> it's maybe 100 kilometers away from, from the other one, but it was a 13-floor skyscraper in the middle of nowhere, just a field. And then they had focus on theater, uh, music, and design. And theater, I was way too, I'm not going to be an actor. Music was a bit boring because I already was like, hey, I do. And then I started uh, two days after. And then that design course was uh, actually mostly uh, 20 girls who were uh, preparing the portfolio for applying for the design school, so the design academies. And then me, who was like, uh, I just uh, applied uh, yesterday and uh, whoa, here I am. I'm not applying for any schools, I'm just here to play a bit out and play around and... And what was that experience like for you? That was kind of a massive, um, whoa, you can do all kind of things and you can show them by thread. And if you take this material, and I found a lot of things in trash, like uh, old uh, old water mattresses, you know, the, 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 in the like, uh, 90s. You, and it's the, quite a cool um, material that you yeah, use Yeah, it was like that. this strange plastic someone kicked out in silver. So then I made some kind of uh, jackets. And and it was also a little bit connected to a, a big uh, techno scene blooming a lot. So I I just went completely uh, nuts, showing all kind of things of uh, isolating uh, materials. And uh, I don't know, it's pretty wild. And I started putting it on and uh, <laughs> took the bus to uh, the city, kind of. It was pretty, uh, I was looking way more nuts than now. <laughs> you can do like a jacket that looks like a Tintin's rocket uh, to the moon, all kind of weird stuff. Also having a little, you know, that um, indie scene that I came from, there was this social circle uh, of uh, signals and codes of what you, what you had to do. You know, you were dressed in a certain way in the music um, bands there. All kind of nearly looked the same. You're reading the same books, the films, no, no, no. So there was this kind of small community of people looking a bit the same, but dressed in, in a certain way. So you could say that that kind of things I kind of took a little bit uh, from the music scene, uh, Bowie, uh, um, the more visual identities of some some musicians uh, taking them into kind of design, I think. 
So you then find yourself, if we fast forward a little bit, at Central St. Martin's in London. Yeah, suddenly I was um, at Central St. Martin. Um, I got back to Copenhagen. I was not really sure what I was doing, blah, blah, blah. I ended up applying the Danish Design School because one of the teachers from the schools, like, hey, you have to. And then I thought, okay, I have to, you know, go all in. You know, there's a thousand people applying. So I made my portfolio out of a clear plastic, a soft clear plastic, and then vacuum it, but with uh, cucumber uh, and cucumber juice, and then with some transparent uh, letters floating around in between. So it's the uh, Henry Bibsko portfolio floating in cucumbers. <laughs> um, for applying the, those academies, you need a... Um, classic drawings uh, you sit down at the glyptothek here and you sit and do all the uh, draw the classic greek sculptures the perfect uh, muscles and the head size so all that stuff was put inside but the problem was that there's so many people are applying so my portfolio was like one third in and then they just top the other portfolios on top on top on top on top on top so Suddenly they called from the Danish Design School uh, a while after I applied and I gave in my beautiful <laughs> cucumber juice uh, portfolio. They called like, hey, are you Henrik Wipsko? I was like, yes. Oh, we're calling from the Danish Design School. Yes, I know. Uh, excited, of course. And they're like, can you please come out here to the office now and remove your uh, exploded uh cucumber juice all over the office and on top of other people's portfolio <laughs> within half an hour what were you thinking about it's like sorry i just want to do it really good <laughs> um, um that's a longer story and it didn't happen it's it continued in a disaster applying that school because they actually wanted to see me for four days of test And I was like, okay, I lost a bit on that exploding uh, cucumber thing there. I better go all in. And then it, I just made it worse. They were like, what are you doing? I was, it was too weird and completely out of, uh, you know, touch with what they were looking for. It was just I built like a three meter tall a tower of potatoes. Uh, for me, that was a symbol of how you... Uh, work with cross-discipline, blah, blah, blah. And the, and the teachers were just looking at it like, what? <laughs> I didn't get in. Then I met this girl who was like, I'm going to go to St. Martin's. I was like, yeah, St. Martin's, so am I. And I was a bit uh, in love with her as well. So it was like, yeah, I'm also, uh, you know, St. Martin's. Uh. I was like, fuck. I went home to figure out what is it? St. Martin's exactly. I, I knew a bit of... You know, Shade, uh, Six Pistols played their first concert. And, you know, those Jarvis uh, made a song about a girl, could nearly be me. And then I applied and um, showed up and was really nervous because of the English, though. And I was like, hi, Henrik, Denmark, applying. <laughs> uh, and I got in. Wow. And you didn't completely change your tact of shock value when you represented the danish passion for pigs i believe was that part of your yeah but it, it was like it, it the school is great but it's also there's a lot of students and they do this they have this press show where they select maybe 10 20 of the students can show 
all can show, but then they do an extra show, which is the press show where they show the world the best students. And there's a jury sitting there awaiting for seeing all three, 400 students, and then they pick out 30. So there is a massive pressure on, on the students there to deliver something super genius. And um, I was actually not really sure what I was doing. Thought it could be something uh, focus on contemporary art, but like I was asked to go on a tour with my band, uh, two weeks tour, or three weeks uh, in Scandinavia, and I was like, "Hey, yeah, I'm gonna do that." And I told my teacher, "Hey, I'm not really sure what I'm doing, and I'm also gonna go on a tour for two three weeks, and I'm gonna be back then." And he was like, "Hey, this is the world famous St. Martin's." When you walk in, they have this hallway where all the big names are hanging with pictures. It's like Hollywood uh, Hall. This is the world big, uh, biggest, the best design school in the world. Now you're taking three weeks off in your like final uh, project. And he was like, whatever. Hey, do whatever you want to. Then I came back. I was thinking a bit on the tour, what to do. And I was like, suddenly I was like, hey. My grandma and my dad would say the foundation for our family has uh, been farming pigs. Maybe I should look into pigs. And then I started imagining like the models was coming in with the mother pigs shaped bags with print on. A little bit like kind of strangely Louis Vuitton, but a, a pig shaped and then I just went nuts into pigs in different cultures, uh, religious perspectives, uh, how the food industry uh, looking into meat, uh, into music, Pink Floyd, all kind of weird stuff. Uh, the symbol of pig in different uh, India, China, Muslims, all kind of things put into them. And that gave me a really good foundation for developing... Um, this pick collection. Then already before the show, then some of um, the face uh, wanted to suddenly, oh, the picky guy. <laughs> uh, Want to do an interview and do uh, some photos. And Dazed and Confused suddenly also wanted to do some stuff. So it went from a little bit underground medias into kind of Guardian. The Times did like a little portrait. And then it went into, suddenly I was sitting in, I think it was called The Big Breakfast, like a British morning telly program, where there was this big piggy bag in the front, and they were like, what is this? Is this the new shit in town? Wow. Is this fashion? So it went really like, and um, three, four weeks before my graduation, suddenly they showed this documentary dude up, and he was like, hey, I'm looking for a Dane to follow for this St. Martin's, the final uh, project presentation following you. And he would also follow a girl. Like a, as a TV documentary. The best thing would be if one actually didn't make it and the other one made it. That's the best TV, you know. So he was following me through that process. I was a little bit <laughs> blurry and I suddenly was like, fuck. You know, I'm probably not going to make this, you know, like uh, maybe I should uh, with a camera on my neck. Maybe I should put a bit of work into this so I don't uh, fail in front of uh, <laughs> the whole Denmark, Scandinavia mom watching. It's like, fuck, okay. 
But then um, it was really great, this pick stuff, that uh, because everybody, even punks, business people, all kind of people could relate to this uh, piggy theme. It's a bit like when you take some animals and put them in the middle of a Trafalgar Square or something. It always would stand out because it comes from another planet, nearly. Um, so there was quite a lot of people who really um, digged into it. So it was a good Kickstarter. And how did you feel when you first arrived on the Danish scene, then coming back from St. Martin, which I presume was a super diverse, I mean, you're experiencing London and all of its cultural richness. <laughs> It was a bit, um, it was super weird, but I was also completely out of money. I like, um, I remember I was in London, came back from a great summer and I went to the tube, was buying a one day travel card, a one week travel card, I can't remember. And it kept my credit card. I was like, fuck, when is Christmas? That's in three, four months. Whoa, it's going to be a heavy, uh, some heavy months. So I was pretty broke. At the same time, all this piggy stuff was really blooming. So I was picked up in a limousine, driven to the big breakfast to sit and talk about it. And I was mostly focusing uh, like uh, on food, you know. Uh, and I remember I was sitting there and the driver was sitting eating like a big uh, Twix or something like, I was like, fuck, I'm so hungry. But I was also um, smoking at that time. So it's like, should I buy cigarettes or should I buy cornflakes? Cigarette, cornflakes. The artist dilemma. Yeah, it was. It was, And then um, I mean, it was pretty tough, but it was going really well. And then um, I got this um, from the Danish Art Foundation that had like a two-year program they called a start-up program where you, um, for two years, you would get like a little bit like being... Uh, uh, on the dole or unemployed you get the same amount but you would be supported by the Danish so it gave you a little lift up in your mind so I got that and then I was like okay fuck I'm, I should move back cannot live off conflicts uh, a year more <laughs> on that though it's I find the fashion world interesting because it's kind of the intersection between art, design, and business. Yeah. You must have to have some business smarts about you. How have you acquired that? Or have you just surrounded yourself with good people along the way? Yeah, but it was also, you know, it was going really great with the piggy stuff. Then there came suddenly some uh, Japanese uh, buyers uh, to my flat. I cleaned up a bit before they came. <laughs> and they brought also um, a buyer from Hong Kong and they would really like to buy some stuff. And so, can we buy this? I was like, yeah, what's the price? Uh, the price is, and then I just, uh, what is, what does a jacket cost? Um, then I just put out a price. And I'm like, okay, can we have uh, five of that? And how much is the T-shirts? The T-shirts, fuck, how much <laughs> is the T-shirts? Uh, so they just put a, put up some fake prices. <laughs> and they're like, okay, this is our order. I was like, fuck. Then afterwards, I was like, wait. There was just two, uh, three shops who um, ordered some stuff. I was, but I was looking, like, how can I ever, you know, make this for this amount? You know, it doesn't make sense. And it was not because it was super cheap that I sold it, but I was like, it doesn't really make sense that, you know, I wouldn't actually earn any money. Mm. So that was, a, I think, for some years, I was like, it doesn't make sense, you know, 
do 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 and I was also sewing some stuff myself with a friend and like it was just a zero business. Then actually um, I came back here and still a bit a little bit in this black hole of like how the fuck does this business work? Because it didn't work out so far, you know, not that you could do it for a living. And I had a pair of trousers from that uh, picky collection, which were like actually some men's trousers. And then the ex-girlfriend uh, kind of picked a bit up and then, hey, can I borrow those? They're pretty cool. And, uh, and suddenly there were some of her friends like, hey, can we buy some? I saw those pants. They were pretty nice. But it's like men's pants. Yeah, we could make some. Then me and my friend um, made like 40 pairs. And then they were like, gone. Then we made 20 more, gone. But it did still not make sense because we were like uh, getting paid uh, in conflicts. And then um, because I was on this startup uh, grant, uh, which were paid out the 1st of January, so you have to support yourself the whole year, but you got the money the 1st of uh, January, and then you have to save money for the last months. But then I talked with some people and they're like, Henrik, you should do, you should, you should get a proper factory to do it. They can do it much faster, much cheaper and better than you can do it. And then I ordered um, 200 pairs of trousers at a factory and uh, paid it with all the money I got for the whole year. I hadn't sold any of them before and they arrived. I was like, fuck. And then the, they called from a Copenhagen shop and said like, which is a big mainstream shop here in, in town. And um, they would like to order and they ordered um, half of the trousers. Like, whoa. And uh, I delivered when they came uh, on bikes or I don't know, some kind of a cheap way. And uh, it was very, they had to sign all kind of people. They were very old school. And then they called me in the morning and said, uh, yeah, regarding the trousers, I was like, I gave them in yesterday. Didn't you get them? Or I put them on the stock back in the, yeah, we got them, but we would like to order more. I was like, okay. And then I was like, okay, if you hit some kind of um, right product, uh, you can actually, um, you can sell a lot. That was kind of the build off of my kind of, you could say, a company was through those trousers. So learning from that, would you say when you pull together a collection these days that you're also looking at a mix or a balance whereby perhaps something might reach the zeitgeist and be more mainstream and then other elements are more experimental and they don't necessarily need to sell? Or do you think in that way? Yeah, I think about it and we try to analyze it and and sometimes it works out, but it doesn't really you know, you're super lucky if something really goes so big because this also spread to suddenly some Australians called and Americans called. Those pants suddenly became a thing. And I don't know if that ever happened since to my stuff, maybe a few, but not in the same league. But we, we try to sit and analyze it. and We think, okay, this product is going to be really good but then in the end it's the other product that shows and you know it's a little bit out of uh, yeah what's your favorite part of the process i think that i really like the process in general like when you're starting up and uh, where to go and then i like the last two weeks where it's like fuck uh, where are we going uh, let's uh, where it all comes together 
So the starting up point where it's like, could be three subjects chosen. Uh, last time it was this bathroom, looking into objects in the bathroom, the interior of the bathroom, uh, the structures, some old school carpets, uh, uh, rubber mats uh, in, in the shower, all kind of different structures in the But also looking into what is the shower, uh, the bathroom nowadays is maybe the only place where you're alone. It's nearly like kind of a spiritual, religious room where you, and, and some narcissism, you're looking into the mirror, maybe it's steamed and douched. There's a lot of things going on there, which is really interesting. And the cleaning process, nearly like a sin, and you're alone most of the time. And maybe the only place in the whole world where the humans are alone nowadays. Also, some people sit there and communicate with other people where you're like, I'm at the toilet or bathroom. Now I'm going to write my mom or whatever, something. Or the ones that I didn't write, I'm going to write now. And then researching into, you know, send a cleaning process, no, 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 and get maybe 40 to 50 artworks in woven, uh, printed, knitted structures, um, together and then the last two weeks where I was like fuck where are we going uh, Paris okay 10 o'clock kick off like thousand treads meeting and then boom 10 o'clock it's it's a pretty wild um, thing and I also like actually then when the show is kind of ready and sometimes there's half an hour uh, where we are waiting for people And people are sitting there not really sure what's what's going to happen or what's going on. And we can take the light a bit down. We can take the light up if we want to. We can put some spooky music on, scary stuff. You can, Or you can put some really energy music. Uh, you can kind of play a bit around with the audience that are sitting waiting for something unexpected. And there's this whole game of some people sitting, you know, In the front row, maybe they think they're super important or more important than the student on the third row or mix them. I've been doing things in that moment that I also had a friend who was singing opera. So uh, he was seated and then suddenly he was just uh, suddenly, okay, 15 minutes before you just stand up suddenly and starts to sing. <laughs> Which are like, what? Who's that freak? <laughs> But that there's a lot of different things going on in that before the show. I like that. It seems that your objective from the early stage has been to, in some ways, hijack or at least play with what was seen as the, the norm. Yeah, but it also, it's a bit, uh, I sometimes also reflected a bit on from my music background and how to put up a concert. I've been playing a lot. Um, what's good? Something mellow in the middle, no, 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 and then something... So a little bit contrasty, discant and bass and all kind of things of those elements are in, in in a different field, you can say. so. It's obviously been well received in Paris. You're kind of more yeah, visual, cinematic in, um, approach. Yeah, it comes in periods. Um, it's like now I've been doing for so many years, uh, nearly 20 years, and it comes in waves. Suddenly there's some people sitting there like, who are they? Oh, it's the, don't you know who it is? Kind of, and suddenly there's a lot of people and you get a little bit hype and then disappears and then you do a little bit, and suddenly there comes another wave and you have to stand up on your surfboard and get down, right? You seem to be fairly philosophical about it, though. 
Yeah, but I I don't know. It's also I've been doing it for so many years, so I try not to think too much about. There's always someone who doesn't like it, um, and then there's periods uh, where people really like it. So it's you just have to find your own way through it uh, and do what you like to do. I think. What do your parents think about what you do? I think uh, my parents are feeling pretty comfy from having three bit wilder kids. I was for sure the soft one of them, but uh, now all are like settled. My sister has a restaurant. My brother is a priest, uh, dean of Nabo, and I'm doing this and professor at the science school. Everything like doing some pretty wild stuff there, like uh, in this small, you know, small society in the country. What is is it your son who is doing some stuff out of salad? (laughs) <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, yeah yeah he's he's doing some experiment and i did a lot of weird shit so i think now it's like it's good <laughs> come down and you have two young children of your own do you think either of them would potentially go down the same path as you and would you encourage them to yeah it's it's weird with this creative business because it's you, you also need to stop it somehow because it's it's eating you you know it can and sometimes you need to cut it off and do something else because it just you can always if you don't have a deadline or something you can just it's like a, it's a tough business and of course it's super great and funny but it's also um, wild uh, and people get nuts you know so you have to find your own balance and i don't know maybe i think one of them is more a bit more dreamy uh, artistic than the other but let's see how it goes you never know as your parents found out (laughs) exactly a couple of questions just to finish up henrik the first was around technology and i'm just curious how Technology is changing the way that that you approach your craft, also in terms of sustainability and so forth. Yeah, um, I think two three years ago we started uh, like, hey, maybe we should change the way it is uh, because it's it's a bit sad looking at uh, the world. So what can we do from our side? And also being the professor who is leading uh, new people into this. And I've been noticing some of the students who is like uh, nervous breakdowns and quitting the studios because, hey, I can't do this. Uh, so I think there's been a big change of focus also from the way that I was uh, teached at St. Martin's was very much about the form, go nuts, you know. Now it's very much about the material and um, you could say sustainable materials is very important in, in this process. And so that changed and has been um, also been a little bit like, whoa, should I keep on doing it or should I do something else? What else or what should I do, actually do? But now we changed it into becoming the sustainable company which is a good start at, at least. And what does that mean in practical terms? It means that all our buttons are done out of nuts. Uh, we use a lot of um, recycled cotton or organic cotton. Uh, or we do develop our own fabrics and uh, recycle polyester, if there's polyester in. We try to use bio-plastic bags instead of plastic bags, uh, we tried to ship it in within. Uh, we moved the whole production to Europe. Uh, some parts was in China before. 
Um, for example, the collection we showed now, which were like three, four hundred pieces, I think there was one piece that we were not really sure about uh, because it's it's a big job producing stuff. And did they actually take the wrong material or they couldn't find it? Uh, so so we are getting nearly into, you could say, materials nearly 100% sustainable. But I don't know. Like that's my my biggest concern is that it, I don't know the best thing would be if uh, the human being would stop consuming, which means that I should do something else. Um, and the biggest danger is probably that we are we becoming so many people on this planet, and we just like like. Uh, you know, it's a bit like if you have too many insects uh, on the same field, then they would spoil it, and that's kind of what we do. So, the best thing would be that we shouldn't consume anything at all, unless that it could be leave no trace, kind of. But um, so maybe we can we can do organic cotton, which is great, but you still produce uh, stuff. And uh, it would be good if uh, the whole uh, human beings wouldn't uh, buy anything for the next 20 years. I think that would uh, make a big change. But it's a big movement to stop. Mm. And it's also a bit uh, demoralizing for me being a boss of a company. (laughs) Mm. Final question. I just wanted to hear a little bit more about the Pig Foundation you set up. Because I find that fascinating. So that's practical, intelligent genius. Yeah, it was um, eight years ago, I think, I won this Swedish uh, Nordic uh, design prize. That was pretty big. And I thought, hey, great, I got it. Maybe I should help someone as well. Or could I set up like something? And I talked with a lawyer and he was like, you need more money than if you want to do like a trust. You, you you actually lock the money and you only get the small interest. And uh, so he suggested it would be better that I actually somehow encouraged or did something to get some money and to give it to someone uh, young and talent. So that became the Pig Foundation. Um, my job is to go out, do some work, talks, uh, whatever, projects, and um, get some money in and then the foundation gives the money to a practical intelligent genius which is a very wide um, spectra which were nice because then everybody can nearly apply if you are a practical intelligent genius so that's going on uh, i think it's the sixth or seventh year coming up we're doing it uh, on a, like an art institution um, where we do this celebration only for this person. So he would get a little money check, like 3,000 euros, uh, three 4,000 euros. And there will be a band playing a concert and there will be a party just for that person because that person is practical, intelligent, genius. So everybody can apply. Fantastic. It must be rewarding to be able to give back in that way. I mean, yeah, it's 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 weird, but um, the, the, it was a little dream I had that I could also give something. You know, uh, hopefully it makes sense. Uh, 
you don't win a million, but you get something. It's not always only the money that is important. It can also just give something, uh, hopefully lifting a bit up and give a bit secureness and self-confidence and like, hey, I just went to Copenhagen and I got the pig prize. <laughs> I mean, it sounds good. Yeah, but that's, um, you can say the annoying thing after some years is like, oh, hey, Henrik, you have to go out and get some money. It's like, oh, fuck, again, you know, <laughs> on a daily basis, it's, um, but, you know. Do you enjoy traveling and talking? I uh, enjoy traveling and talking, but from, um, I had some years, you know, I, when I was touring uh, with Trendemiller, I toured for um, seven years around the world, and I traveled quite a lot, either like periods of three weeks or one month, like in a tour bus, Or every weekend flying, okay, we play in Madrid uh, Thursday when we fly to Budapest Friday, and then the last one is uh, Berlin Saturday night. Okay, next weekend, it's uh, it was fun, but I traveled quite a lot. We were just completely in transfer for <laughs> some years, like, uh, where are we going? Are we going to? Okay. But it was, it was fun. Um, but it also took a little bit, uh, you could say, the... Uh, excitement uh, and joyfulness of traveling because that I kind of lost a bit for for traveling a lot and being a bit confused in mind where I was so it had been taking me a few years to like hey we should uh, should go somewhere so I just came home like four days ago from uh, been up in the mountains of Norway where I've been on uh, cross-country skiing, which I'm a big fan of. And I like to go out in the nowhere. Uh, so that I did. We're standing on a mountain a week ago where like on the border to Sweden, Norway, and the road just ended in a roundabout. <laughs> and there was no trees it was on top of the tree level oh, it was beautiful and Copenhagen albeit an unlikely spot to base a fashion brand in some ways it's it's you know, it's an easy smaller city capital um, it's it's I think it works out from here well, I was at some point also because I have an American company I was like and uh, my um, wife girlfriend uh, has a American um, family like Should we go to New York and live there? But it's like got so complicated, and then kids and da -da -da. and maybe I could do more from here than from there. So I like it. It's soon getting better. I'm waiting for the light, <laughs> but it's on the right way. It's uh, in in the studio. There's a big mix of uh, I don't know 14 different nationalities and. Some of them is say, Scandinavian, uh, Icelandic, uh, whatever. But there's also some people who's like, whoa, it's dark. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then the light comes back and uh, it balances it out. But it can be uh, tough. It's been raining, what, three months? Pretty much, yeah. Four, maybe. Yeah. My God. Well, on that dreary note, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time, Henrik, and oh. uh, look forward to seeing you playing with fire in the not too distant future and hopefully not triggering any alarms along the way no hopefully not 